This is Down to Freight, the podcast for enterprise supply chain, logistics, transportation, and warehousing professionals. We capture stories from industry experts who share their lessons learned and business outcomes from their technology investments. If you want to make the most out of your technology initiatives, tune in to uncover what it takes to evaluate and deploy IT projects with minimal hiccups to reduce your total cost of ownership. Down to Freight is hosted by Vector. Welcome to the Down to Freight podcast, where we sit down with transportation, logistics, and supply chain subject matter experts to discuss digital transformation projects. I'm the host of the show, Francis Adanza, and it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Carl Wunderlich, Director, Surface Transportation Division for Nobilis. Carl, it's great to have you. Can you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your company, and what you're responsible for at Nobilis? Sure. Thanks, Francis, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Yes, hi, everybody. My name's Carl Wunderlich. I do work for a company called Nobilis. We're located here in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Maybe a little bit different from other folks that uh, Francis has had on his podcast in that our company is a not-for-profit, and we support the, the U.S. DOT and other federal government agencies in a number of areas that relate to emerging technologies and how they apply to a variety of uh, missions across civilian and non-civilian space, including, uh, of course, uh, transportation and logistics. My background is in applied mathematics. So I come from the University of Michigan originally, uh, well, a few years ago. I'm, I'm not sure you can tell how old I am on this podcast, but in any case, it's been a few years since I left the University of Michigan, but uh, I've spent my career in the area, really, of trying to look at how emerging technologies can transform or take on some of the real wicked problems that we see in the shared transportation, surface transportation infrastructure. And in that role, I have a couple of different hats I wear for Nobilis, and it includes being the director of our Autonomous Systems Research Center, which has recently stood up. And then for the last five or six years, I've been the director of our surface uh, transportation division supporting primarily the DLT. Awesome. Well, thanks for that overview, Carl. For those who are not familiar with Noblis, can you provide a little bit more of what your company does in regards to the transportation and logistics side of the business? Yeah, absolutely. Because as I said, uh, you know, Noblis is a bit of a different kind of company. And our engagement with transportation logistics is fairly unique. So again, as a not-for-profit and supporting agencies, we don't offer products particularly to the market and most of our support to these agencies because we are looking across the board more like a think tank role honestly looking at how these technologies could potentially impact or transform things in transportation making them more efficient or productive more cost and fuel efficient but also safer so in our role we support an office called the usdot intelligent transportation systems joint program office which has a connection to several other modal entities within the Department of Transportation, specific to freight logistics planning, as well as just general utilization of the surface transportation system. And so we'll look at how things, even as simple, for example, if I go back to early in my career, when it was an attempt to try and get probe data to identify hotspots and congestion along uh, major interstates. That was a big goal in the 90s to actually provide these kinds of things and estimate travel times accurately. And so we were at the forefront of trying to position the government in a way to facilitate the provision of that information collectively to the transportation network, as well as the roadway operators like state DOTs who manage the interstates. Well, it definitely sounds like that think tank has been keeping you busy. 
More recently, is there a specific or current project that you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. One of the areas of specific interest that we've been taking a look at is blockchain technology and what it means, what it could mean, honestly, to the transportation system. And so I think when I say blockchain, folks on that they may be listening may immediately be thinking of like, oh, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency billionaires and Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. And that is true. That is one application. Cryptocurrency is the most well-known and most successful, honestly, application of the underlying blockchain or distributed ledger technology that runs it. But it's not the only one. Just to understand a little bit more about how blockchain could have more, even larger impact, honestly, on transportation than just merely a reference to things like Bitcoin, it may be useful just to think a little bit about what it is fundamentally and what distributed ledger blockchain does. And honestly, it's really a marriage of a couple of different technologies, including cryptography and sort of this shared notion of a distributed ledger that it gives it a lot of power outside of use cases that are just limited to things like cryptocurrencies and exchange of value and not using, for example, fiat dollars or euro currency. So in this case, really, what blockchain is, the simplest way to understand it, maybe the one I've used to try to explain it, is it's like a big shared spreadsheet in which everybody in the community that uses that spreadsheet to record transactions can monitor and look at. So it's a complete ledger. Every entry is a transaction between one or more parties that acts as sort of a smart contract between those two entities. When the work is done and is complete, the value is exchanged Sometimes it's value, but there can be other kinds of tokens as well that relate to essentially the trustworthiness of the entities. Essentially, like you get a a report, for example, on an Airbnb host or something, right? The same kind of tokens can be used to not only exchange value, but also rate the reliability of that other entity as a partner in the exchange. So these kinds of spreadsheet style capabilities are all excellent, but the problem is how can you trust that that's secure? And so this is where the cryptographic component comes in. Because it's dangerous, I suppose, to have a large distributed ledger that records high-value transactions that include exchange of value or ratings about trust if it can't be actually reliably trusted itself to be an honest record of what happened. And if it could easily be spoofed, then there's a problem. So the notion that cryptographically is that we use hashing techniques and other cryptographic methods to ensure that all of the information that's encoded in the distributed ledger is actually irrefutable. So the point is that if anybody goes in and changes any entry in our jointly shared spreadsheet, as a mental model here, it's not not really spreadsheets, then that causes essentially everything in the entire spreadsheet to change value. So anytime somebody tinkers with one small part of our ledger, that instantly changes essentially everything in it. So the problem that we're trying to solve here is that when one person makes one change and everybody has multiple copies, I guess that's what I said, this distributed ledgers, we all have our own copies of it. If one ledger looks different than the other ledgers, the shared ledger, then those ones that are different are overwritten. So the past transactions are inherently preserved going forward. And as long as there is actually attention paid to that ledger, as long as the folks who are using it are paying attention, it's fairly straightforward and very secure to keep those transactions going forward. This is essentially the basic technology in a simplified way that we use to look at high value cryptocurrency transactions of using Bitcoin. But this fundamental underlying capability could be about any kind of relationship, any kind of exchange, any kind of agreement between humans, humans and machines, or machines. 
Thank you. That was super helpful. It was like a quick crash course on blockchain. So as you think about blockchain and its potential use cases, what was the problem that you were trying to solve as it pertains to logistics and transportation? Yeah, right on. So absolutely, there are a lot of things that folks can use or think about using blockchain to do related to the transportation system and the logistics supply chain. And the most prevalent use of this relates to chain of custody. So for example, the goods that are being moved within the supply chain are being handed off from one entity to another, that's a transaction, right? And so those transactions can be embedded into the distributed ledger the same way. And so there are a fair number of relatively mature, emerging, but relatively mature capabilities to do this. And there are some great use cases where companies have used these sort of smart logistic planning, smart contract capabilities to improve the management of their own supply chain and the chain of custody for high value cargo. So that's a really great area. But the area that we are specifically researching here at Novus relates to machine to machine and machine to human transactions related to collective maneuver planning. So in this case, autonomous or highly autonomous vehicles using a blockchain construct to enable tactical maneuver planning in and around areas where there may be contention for space. So this could be as simple as an intersection on the roadway or as complicated potentially as any as managing access and movement within or around a distribution center shared by multiple vendors or utilized by multiple vendors who are needing to get in essentially to particular loading locations or other aspects of logistics and supply distribution center. So in these cases, we're very interested in how can machines, without necessarily a lot of human intervention or with minimal human intervention, actually do this negotiation themselves to allocate who gets access to various spots within the center for loading and offloading, but also in the maneuver of getting from the gate, essentially, to that location safely and with respect to the limitations of any of the vehicles, their turning radius, their ability to back up and do particular kinds of maneuvers, ensuring that all of that happens efficiently and safely, that is really our application that we're working on now. It's this tight maneuver transaction, smart transactions between relatively autonomous trucks and, and other vehicles to ensure that all the stuff gets moved as quickly as possible but is subject to the urgency as dictated by the supply chain and by the ability of the individual entities that operate these machines to place a value on what it means to be first in line that day or to gain access to a specific loading or unloading zone. Wow, that's pretty amazing when you think about the development of smart cities and then all the autonomous vehicles that are running through it. As you worked with clients on developing this solution, what were some of the interesting things that you've learned in the process? Right. So what we learned is that there's a lot of use cases out there where machines and people have to share space, right? So uh, we think about the supply chain, logistics, and freight movement in general. You can think of all the places where you actually need or you know, just that space to conduct the transaction or conduct the transaction of moving the materials, right? And that's not always straightforward. In fact, there's some very interesting use cases going on right now as we've been starting to talk with folks about this in a more serious way related to just curb space management. So for example, in a place like Manhattan, it's very difficult to load and unload because when you talk about a place with space at the premium, I mean, Manhattan is a great example. 
And so the notion that vehicles have to block traffic is accepted essentially as a way of life there to, to in order for resupply to occur. But there are ways when one truck does it, it may not be such a big deal. When you have multiple trucks all vying for positions at the same time, then there could be both safety concerns as well as just accuracy but in terms of just accuracy of delivery and efficiency concerns. So in these cases, there are essentially a way of auctioning off the space, this curb space, in a very intelligent way to allow the unloading and loading to be conducted safely and also with a minimum impact to surrounding traffic. All of that is essentially stored in a ledger, and it's just an agreement among, for example, the city and the vehicles that use that space, that curb space, to, to do this. Honestly, the curb space management, it, it goes beyond just for truck loading, unloading, also relates to passenger pickup as well. So if you can take that same multiple use curb space and then use a mechanism like a distributed ledger, a blockchain technology to secure it, you can have people making reservations, acquiring that space, understanding and communicating to the rest of the community about the availability of that space in a way that makes it safer and more efficient and more predictable for everybody trying to use this. From Vector, we bring you Down to Freight, the podcast for supply chain, logistics, transportation, and warehousing professionals. Tune in to listen to industry experts as we explore the lessons they learned, business outcomes, and technology initiatives. Just search for Down to Freight on your favorite podcast channels. Fantastic. So where are you in the development of this concept? And when do you think this will reach mainstream adoption and we'll start seeing autonomous vehicles and smart um, facilities and or cities come to life? Right. So Francis, that's a great point. In our job at Novelist, we were asked to think out 5, 10, 20 years. But parts of what I've been talking about are really more near term and other parts really are further out. So in terms of the planning for detailed maneuvers among autonomous vehicles or highly autonomous vehicles, I think this is still a little bit further away because we have yet to really get to the point where these vehicles are utterly devoid of human control. So drivers are still supervising how those machines and those vehicles operate. And that's okay for now. I think that's appropriate to the level of our technological capability and the offerings on the market to do so. But we are increasingly moving towards additional assist. And one of the areas, honestly, where automation can come into play even earlier than sort of general driving around, let's say, in New York City, where, for example, that would be a tough ask for any autonomous vehicles, given the pedestrians and, and the fact that there's multiple lanes and that there's cross traffic and a lot of other stuff going on. It's a very difficult environment for an automated vehicle to really do well. But one other thing I'd say is that in and around an area like a distribution center, then you've got an example where vehicles are moving relatively slowly. It's a controlled space. It could be pretty good markings in that area to delineate where traffic could go or should go to channelize things. In any case, the sort of low-speed, relatively controlled environment makes a pretty good test bed for these kinds of tactical maneuver planning. And so I think in this case, the combination of blockchain, which is really as a technology, ready to go. There's nothing really too complicated that needs to be done in that arena. That technology is mature and ready for application. But integrating that with the machines and the autonomous vehicles that maneuver in these spaces, the distribution center is a great place to start. So this is an example where I think even without necessarily autonomous machines, but even just managing human-driven machines and the reservation for those allocated space could begin slowly. 
And then as the machines themselves, the vehicles become more and more automated, it sort of builds up. So right now, just extent of any interest in autonomy or autonomous vehicles, you could have a blockchain solution managing access to some of these shared distribution center spaces, getting more efficient, more safer interactions, more predictable, more predictable access to resources within the center that are that may be limited. I think that could happen now. So really, tomorrow is a time where we could be using these kinds of technologies to manage the access. And I think there has been some movement in that area. But as autonomy comes along, which I think is maybe for this kind of low-speed autonomy, a three to seven-year, three to seven-year growth rate, then I think we're talking about a pretty steady transition from what was just an important thing for people to do, something that machines can handle on their own. And in the end, the humans will just really be just managing the strategy and less the tactics of maneuver in these low-speed areas. So I feel like in this case, you know, the specific use case that we're working on, the time is not terribly far away from being able to implement something that is not only useful, but grows into something relatively futuristic rapidly. That makes complete sense. You touched a little bit on how adoption could pick up a little bit quicker in a, say, a smart facility or yard that a shipper or a retailer might have in terms of a controlled environment. Are there any things that you're doing with like the DOT that would prevent the private sector from being able to adopt these things much sooner within their own controlled environments? Right. So great question. And I think when we talk about regular roadway intersection, interstate space, we're talking about relatively high stakes environment with severe safety implications and a shared infrastructure that can have anybody on it from a highly automated truck driven by a professional with years of experience, so you know, supported by a whole range of automation and driver assist technologies on the same roadway as a Model T, you know, an antique vehicle from 100 years ago still out there, right? It's their open access on the interstate or any of the other roadways, as well as pedestrians and cyclists and everybody else. So where you have a general purpose infrastructure and a huge variety of folks and machines operating in that system, it's a very difficult environment to get it right all the time because some of these outlier use cases can be very dangerous. So for example, when the artificial intelligence behind some of the autonomous machines encounters something it hasn't seen before, you can't predict exactly what the reaction may be. So in order to make that system very safe, the required testing is super high. Now, in contrast, the controlled environment of the distribution center is an example of a space where access is restricted. There is only a certain collection of folks who are allowed to get in. Access is something that you have to earn, honestly, to get in. You can't just drive up in your car and say, I'd like to get in here and drive around or walk around. You know, whoever's in and around these locations could be in a mobile facility, distribution center, you name it. The access is by definition restricted. And the space itself can be designed to support autonomy, even as it's being sort of built up in its capabilities. So it's repeatable, it's consistent, it's a managed environment. There are a certain subset of folks who are essentially trained to understand the rules of engagement in that environment. And that's important for the human drivers, but also for the autonomous machines to have a closed set of finite expectations because it limits the number of cases where we would be concerned about things like safety. Moving at relatively low speed also makes things a little bit more amenable to early adoption because the consequences of failure, in this case, tend to be lower than if a vehicle is going 60 miles an hour on the open road. So 
in these cases where the speeds are low, but more importantly, access is restricted and the environment controlled. It's an example where we can get started from that environment. We might be able to take a lot of the lessons learned and get the machines trained up so they can take on the more challenging general purpose environment on the roadway system. Got it. Well, Carl, this was a fantastic conversation and lots of insight. Really appreciate your time. So what's next for you and or this project? Right. So again, we are a little bit different than maybe other folks that you have on the podcast, Francis. We are a research and scientific and advisory company assisting the government, but we are doing some very interesting research. And if folks are interested in seeing some of these concepts played out, not in not on the roadway with full-size trucks and vehicles, that's still, as I pointed out, a little bit farther off. But if you'd like to see some of our autonomous rowers and drones doing some of this collective maneuver planning that I talked about, where the machines are negotiating with each other without any human intervention, agreeing to a maneuver plan, then executing, and then using the blockchain to not only record the transaction as the collective maneuver plan, but also identifying which one of these machines fails to perform, for example, the maneuver and how that is incorporated into a different kind of interaction for that machine in following maneuvers, essentially machines that can't be trusted to follow directions have to penalize the next interaction or transaction by having to reserve more space to essentially accommodate for their inability to maneuver in prior cases, right? So this is a self-organizing system with feedback that says those who are good, trustworthy machines in the system that perform reliably actually get benefits from negotiation for space and future interactions because they've proven themselves to, in this many cases, use just less space, right? And less leeway means more space for other folks, other machines in the system. Although, like I said, we have not done this with full-size trucks. I don't want to get anybody... Too excited so you're going to see some 18-wheelers maneuvering around each other. That's not the videos you're going to see. You're going to see some smaller rovers in our lab environment doing this kind of activity. I encourage you folks, anybody out there, to check that out. And that can be looked up at our website. It's noblest.org backslash orchestrated hyphen autonomy. I'll do that again. So noblest.org and then backslash orchestrated hyphen autonomy. So check that out. Hopefully, I've verbally <laughs> given you enough information. I guess you could also just Google search us on Noblest Orchestrated Autonomy. That's also a really good way to find our resources and what we're doing in the research center. Definitely. Well, I'll be sure to keep you and Noblest on my radar and track the progress of this project as well as other initiatives that you're working on. Again, thank you so much for joining today's episode. Awesome. Thank you, Francis. It's been a pleasure to chat with you, and I look forward to hearing more from all around the industry in upcoming podcasts. Thank you. That was Down to Freight, bringing you the stories and lessons from supply chain, logistics, transportation, and warehousing professionals. Listen to the other episodes in Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Down to Freight is sponsored by Vector, the leader in electronic bill of lading and logistics workflow solutions.